0: Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome back to Dark Poutine. I am Michael Brown, and that is Matthew Stockton. All
1: sun-kissed
0: over here. You're all sun-kissed? Yeah,
1: Look at how dark my arm is.
0: Well, you spend all your time on your roof deck. On don't? the deck working, yeah. You and Steve, my trusty
1: sidekick, Steve the Bulldog. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark patin podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor its parent company, Chorus Entertainment.
0: Dark poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We are ordinary Canadian schmucks chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo
1: bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. You are responsible for obtaining and maintaining at your own cost all equipment needed to listen to dark poutine. Dark poutine can be addictive. Side effects may include, but not be limited to, pausing and questioning the system, elevated heart rate, pondering humanity, odd looks from colleagues as you laugh out loud at work, family members not into true crime worrying about you. Positive side effects may include some perspectives and opinions that you disagree with, as well as some wokeness and empathy. If you don't think dark poutine is for you, consult your doctor immediately.
0: of July 8, 2019, Vancouver Island RCMP launched a manhunt for two inmates who had escaped from William Head, a minimum security federal institution in Machosan, south of Victoria. The two men, James Lee Bush and Zachary Armitage, had walked away from William Head the day before. The fugitives were arrested on July 9th after an off-duty RCMP officer spotted them in Esquimalt. On July 12th, RCMP found the body of 60 year old Martin Keith Payne at his home on Brookview Drive in the community of Machosan. Co workers and family had become worried when he hadn't shown up for work. He had been murdered. Payne's death initiated an 11 month investigation led by the Vancouver Island Integrated Major Crime Unit involving several police agencies. On June 12, 2020, An RCMP news release reported that the escapees, Bush and Armitage, had been charged with first-degree murder concerning Martin Payne's death. This event sparked serious debate about the decision-making process that led to these two individuals, both with histories of violent crime, being housed in a minimum security facility. How had they simply walked away from their incarceration to murder Martin Payne? This is Dark Poutine episode 280, They walked away. The murder of Martin Payne. Machosan is a rural community in Greater Victoria, about 20 kilometers southwest of downtown Victoria, on the southern tip of Vancouver Island. Known for its wide open spaces, pastoral countryside, and bountiful farmland, Machosan was first inhabited by the Coast Salish peoples. The name Machosan is derived from the Coast Salish language where it is called Smetschosan. The community was incorporated in 1984. The heart of Machosan is at the village centre which is located in the intersection of Happy Valley Road and Machosan Road. You can find a few stores, a restaurant and a school there. This region, known as the Western Communities or West Shore, stretches from Esquimalt Harbour to Rocky Point along the shoreline of Juan de Fuca Strait, And you want to talk a bit about Juan de Fuca, don't you?
1: I've just been geeking out about Juan de Fuca recently. Mm-hmm. You know when you do some research on something completely unrelated and then you bump into something and before you know it, you've gone into like a a wormhole? Yes. So Juan de Fuca, did you know that his real Greek name was Ioannis Fokas? What? So yeah, he wasn't even Spanish. He was Greek. Oh, wow. Um, But given a Spanish name because he was sailing on a Spanish ship. Mm -hmm. He was from Kefalonia, which is uh, an Ionian island in Greece. And he supposedly sailed to Nootka Sound way back in 1592. Oh, wow. But he didn't name the inlet after himself. It was named 200 years later. Oh, wow. For him by Captain Charles Barkley, not the sports guy. <laughs> Charles Barkley. <laughs> um, and what's fascinating is there actually been debate over like 400 years if the guy even existed, let alone discovered the sound.
0: Well, that's really cool. That's yeah. a, an interesting bit of information. <laughs> I know
1: it's totally off topic, but
0: hey. <laughs> yeah. Modern Machosen is characterized by winding rural roads that lead past cultivated acreages, small forests, rocky headlands, small farms, and secluded seaside homes. To preserve the area's rural lifestyle, the municipality of Machosan has imposed a minimum one- and two-acre lot-size bylaw. As of 2021, the population of Machosan was 5,067. The area was open for farming in the 1860s to provide fresh produce for the growing population of gold miners and settlers in the nearby Victoria region. As a result, the natural ambience there is pastoral. Despite the absence of marshland, many migratory birds seen at Whitty's Lagoon Regional Park also use the other parks in Machosan as a staging area, including sandpipers, turnstones, and surfbirds. A short stretch of Machosan Road, which becomes William Head Road, provides access to three parks, Albert Head Lagoon, Whitty's Lagoon, and Devonian Regional Park, offering intimate glimpses of wildlife in a coastal setting. Near the foot of William Head Road lies the Federal Minimum Security Prison operated by the Correctional Service of Canada, CSC, known as William Head Institution. Canadian prisons employ three tiers of security measures. These include maximum security. These facilities are encircled by towering walls or fences of about 20 feet, equipped with guard posts. The officers on duty are armed, and the movement of inmates is closely monitored. Prisoners interact with regimented groups and partake in structured therapy programs. In medium security, these prisons are bound by chain-link fences reinforced with razor wires at the top. The inmates housed in these prisons are considered a threat to the public and are thus directly supervised. Many such institutions have provisions for training centers and treatment amenities. In minimum security, these establishments have a designated perimeter but typically lack walls or fences fully surrounding the institution. They are devoid of armed personnel and guard towers. The restrictions on inmate movement and privileges are quite lenient. A significant number of prisoners in minimum security participate in work-release initiatives. The categorization of inmates which dictates whether they will be placed in a maximum in a maximum medium or minimum security prison can be reviewed at any given moment however this assessment is mandatory at a minimum interval of every 2 years and is completed on their entry into the prison system from the CSE website quote William Head Institution was originally designed and used as a quarantine station by the Department of National Health and Welfare from 1881 to 1958. In 1959, the Canadian Penitentiary Service established William Head Institution to accommodate the overflow of inmates from the British Columbia Penitentiary, BCP. This created Canada's first minimum security federal penitentiary. William Head is a unique, standalone institution redesigned in the 1990s based on a residential design composed of five neighborhoods of clustered duplexes. Each neighborhood of duplexes is intended to function as a community. The age of the buildings on the property range from those remaining from the late 1800s to the neighborhood living units completed in 1995 the site has a rich infrastructure inherited from its previous use as a medium security penitentiary and quarantine station, quote. According to the Correctional Service of Canada, William Head houses inmates deemed to be of low risk to public safety and who can benefit from a less restrictive environment to aid in their rehabilitation and eventual reintegration into society. Approximately 20% of inmates at William Head Institution serve sentences with an average length of 40 months, while 27% have terms lasting 40 months or more. Half of the inmates are serving life sentences. The facility employs around 100 staff members and has a capacity of 200 inmates. One of the notable aspects of this institution is its picturesque and isolated setting. Situated on a peninsula along the southern coast of Vancouver Island, the facility offers breathtaking views of the surrounding ocean and natural landscapes. This unique location contributes to the prison's rehabilitative focus, providing a calmer and more peaceful atmosphere that fosters personal growth and introspection among the inmates. William Head strongly emphasizes rehabilitation offering various programs and services to support inmates' personal development, education, and vocational training. By providing opportunities for education and skill building, the institution aims to equip its inmates with the tools they need to succeed upon release and reduce the likelihood of reoffending. Inmates at William Head can participate in work programs within the prison and in the local community. These programs allow them to gain valuable skills and work experience, fostering a sense of responsibility and self-worth while also contributing to the community in a positive manner. The programs include the Chaplaincy Support Group, Community InReach, Restorative Justice, Freedom Project Canada Nonviolent Communication Citizen Escorts, In-House Personal Development Reintegration, and Mentoring in the Community. Moreover, the prison actively engages with local communities on Vancouver Island, establishing partnerships that encourage inmates to participate in community projects and initiatives. This involvement helps inmates to develop a sense of connection to the outside world and helps to bridge the gap between incarceration and eventual reintegration into society. One of these community outreach programs is a theatre program called William Head On Stage, or WHOS. According to the group's website, the WHOS Prison Theatre Company has been active for 40 years. This is a unique company led by incarcerated artists, takes charge of creating and staging plays for the general public. Traditionally, during each fall season, thousands of individuals purchase tickets and journey through Machosen to gather in the prison gymnasium. There, they witnessed the remarkable talents of incarcerated actors, builders, and musicians who put their utmost efforts to deliver captivating performances. Another crucial function of William Head Institution is its role in preparing eligible inmates for parole. Through assessments and various parole preparation programs, inmates are evaluated for the readiness to reintegrate into society safely. This process aims to ensure inmates have the support and tools to navigate life outside the prison walls successfully. This all sounds great, but of course I'm telling it from the governmental perspective at this point. William Head has earned the nickname Club Fed due to its history of housing white collar criminals with minimal security measures. Inmates reside in five units consisting of eight groups or duplexes. They cook their own food, they wear their own clothes. They even have their own six-hole golf course and other sports facilities like a soccer pitch and a baseball diamond. A Calgary Herald infographic on the institution shared some interesting facts. Every duplex unit is called a neighborhood, has five separate bedrooms. Each inmate's room is furnished with a bed, desk, and chair. They are encouraged to decorate and arrange their rooms as they please. And inmates have their own keys allowing control over access to their private space. Each unit also has a common living area with a full kitchen, pool table, television, and laundromat. According to the March 2016 Calgary Herald infographic that I'm talking about, some notable inmates have been incarcerated at William Head. For example, Robert Latimer. He spent time at William Head Institution after being convicted of killing his 12-year-old daughter Tracy, who had severe cerebral palsy. In 2010, he was granted full parole. Stephen Reed, a former notorious bank robber, who later became a novelist, was part of the stopwatch gang responsible for over 100 robberies in the late 1970s and 80s. We've talked about them. At the time of this article, 64-year-old Reed had been granted day parole and resided in a halfway house in Victoria. According to a Capital Daily investigative reporter named Tori Marlin, in her article published on June 13, 2020, quote, Surrounded on three sides by the Pacific Ocean, the only security features ever installed at the prison were guard towers, a line of 13-foot-high double fencing, and coils of razor wire that extended into the water. The razor wire is now gone, having been left unmaintained after William Head switched from a medium to minimum security prison in 2003. Last summer, 2019, A single eight-foot fence that stopped short of the water replaced the taller double fencing. On July 7th at 6.45pm, James Lee Bush and another inmate, Zachary Armitage, simply walked around that fence and skirted just above the shallow surf. They passed an unmanned guard tower near the prison's south shoreline before slipping undetected into the surrounding community. The RCMP was notified of the escape just after midnight on July 8, 2019 and began searching for Bush and Armitage. CSE released an update on Twitter at 6.23am on July 8. Along with pictures of the two men, it read, Inmates James Bush and Zachary Armitage have escaped from William Head Institution. We are working with police to locate the inmates as quickly as possible. Descriptions of Bush and Armitage, along with small amount of information about the pair, appeared in the news from the Province Newspaper on July 9, 2019. Quote, RCMP hunting killer after two escape jail, Machosan. Two inmates have escaped from the minimum security William Head Institution in Machosan, west of Victoria. A release from the prison says Zachary Armitage and James Bush were missing during the headcount at 11 p.m. on Sunday. Bush is serving an indeterminate sentence for second-degree murder and assault. He's 42, foot 9 inches tall, bald with brown eyes, and has a no-love tattoo on his right arm. Armitage is 30, feet 10, and 179 pounds with brown eyes and black hair. He's serving time for robbery, aggravated assault, and other offenses. The release says RCMP at the West Shore Detachment have been notified and a warrant has been issued for their arrests, end quote. The pair were apprehended the evening after the newspaper article having been on the run for around 48 hours. The RCMP news release on July 10, 2019 made light of the capture. It looked like good PR for the RCMP at the time, and it reads... On July 9th, at approximately 8 p.m., James Lee Bush and Zachary Armitage were located and arrested. The arrest took place after an off-duty RCMP officer spotted the escapees in Esquimalt and contacted 911 for the Victoria Police Department to respond. The off-duty officer was walking his dog, a Great Dane named Lewis, in the area of West Bay in Esquimalt when the escaped inmates commented on how big Lewis was. That's when the RCMP officer immediately recognized the males as Armitage and Bush. The RCMP officer called 911 right away and kept an eye on the inmates. Victoria Police responded with a heavy police presence and safely took the inmates into custody, said Constable Nancy Sager of the West Shore RCMP Media Relations. The Victoria Police Department has since turned over the inmates to the West Shore RCMP Armitage and Bush are still in police custody and expected to appear in court later that day. And the RCMP wanted to thank the public and the media for their help. Job well done by the Victoria Police Department and the off-duty RCMP officer and Lewis, the Great Dane, who all contributed to the capture of these dangerous escaped inmates. Ouch. Yeah, so this
1: is before... They knew that they brutally killed somebody.
0: There is video of the... Of the arrest as well, which is really interesting. So you you can watch video. I'll post that in the show notes, but, uh, it's not important. They're
1: just two people being arrested. Right. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, that, uh, would have gone a different way.
0: Yeah. Well, perhaps the tone of the release would have been much different had the authors been aware of what would happen next. And a bloody crime scene was discovered on July 12th, 2019, eight kilometers from William Head Institution. More after a quick break. And we are back. Matthew, uh, thoughts on this episode so far? I
1: was saying to you before we started recording that this is kind of a very timely episode Mm -hmm. in that I most recently, due to other stories um, there's seems to be growing public interest about, you know, why somebody should be in minimum security or versus maximum and, yeah. and uh, parole and all of those things. Right? Yep.
0: And we will talk about that a yeah. little bit more as the podcast progresses okay. and we'll talk a bit about it even more in the after show. Yes. Yeah. After 60-year-old Martin Payne did not show up for his job, the mail worker's family, co-workers, and friends became concerned. His body was found inside his home at the 1000 block of Brookview Drive in Metchosen. His truck, a Ford F-150, was missing, as were some other items. Mr. Payne's death was deemed suspicious, and foul play was confirmed. The Vancouver Island Integrated Major Crime Unit, VIIMCU, Led the investigation with the West Shore RCMP, RCMP E Division Serious Crime Unit, and forensic identification. According to a news release, quote, The investigative team consists of more than 20 police officers. The investigation has made significant progress in developing leads and suspects in the death of Martin Payne. End quote. Martin Payne died from multiple stab and blunt force injuries due to an assault. The injuries included a facial stab wound one to the neck, a long knife wound to the back of the neck, a stab to the left shoulder, a stab wound to the palm of the right hand, and four chop wounds to the head. The chop wounds were consistent with a hatchet that was found at the scene. It was also determined that Martin Payne was alive when he suffered the chop and knife wounds through the neck. A crumpled handwritten note found inside Martin's home read, What is your pins for cards? Payne's sister Colleen was present when his body was found. She later spoke about the trauma and highlighted her feelings of disconnection and her daily struggle with the memory of her brother's murder. Martin's family and friends remembered him as a man with an exuberance for life, a hearty laugh, and a kindness that was evident even in casual conversations with strangers. His daughter Jessica described him as a kind, easygoing, gentle, thoughtful, and playful man who brightened the day of anyone around him. On August 14, 2019, Staff Sergeant Raj Sandhu, Operations NCO at the West Shore RCMP, issued an update press release. Quote, the investigative team has made great progress in the investigation. Persons of interest have been identified. As a result of the investigation's progress, police wish to inform the community of Greater Victoria that there is no reason to believe the public is at risk. We cannot discuss Mr. Payne's murder in detail as this is an active investigation. The investigative team continues to work hard at gathering evidence to support charges against those responsible for this homicide. We want to thank the public and specifically the residents of Machozen who have remained patient as police work through this extensive investigation." End quote. Although interest fell on Armitage and Bush right away as suspects, Martin Payne's family would have to wait 11 months before their suspicions were confirmed with the charges of first-degree murder against both men concerning Martin's death. The RCMP news release stated, quote, Our condolences go out to Martin's family and friends, says Inspector Todd Preston, officer in charge of the West Shore RCMP, we know that this has been a very difficult time for the community and citizens of the West Shore, and in particular, Machozen. We want to thank the citizens for their patience in the investigative process." End quote. In the same release, Martin Payne's family made a statement. Quote, "...Marty was deeply loved by his tight circle of friends and family, and we have continued to mourn his senseless loss every day for the past 11 months." The man who was taken from us was an exceptionally gentle and caring human being whose love, support, and encouragement were unfailing. We are completely devastated and have been relying heavily on one another throughout this horrifying ordeal. At this time, we would like to thank everyone who has supported us directly or indirectly and all the law enforcement agencies that have worked tirelessly on this case. We also humbly request that our privacy is respected as we continue to deal with our profound grief.
1: How can um you even put this kind of pain into words so whenever I read these statements from families, yeah, I wonder if you know after they write it they they sit there and and, and they're like these words don't even express the depth of how I'm feeling like how. If somebody that you love, this happens, how can you put, even put it into words? It's so hard.
0: A lot of times it comes off as stuff we've heard before. Yeah. You know, exactly. How do you express your own personal feelings about it? It's it's impossible. Because
1: it's way deeper than any statement you can give, any right?
0: Sta- yeah, absolutely.
1: Tori Marlin of the Capital Daily
0: reported, quote, both Bush and Armitage were transferred there, William Head, from Mission Institution. In each case, the mission warden overrode a security-level assessment that otherwise would have prevented their placement in a minimum security institution. Bush and Armitage had spent most of their adult lives incarcerated. Bush wasn't up for full parole until 2025. Armitage was nearing the end of a 14-year sentence. Both had committed violent crimes. In 2010, only two months after his release from prison on a prior charge, Bush fatally strangled a Saskatoon woman over a $20 drug debt and threw her body in a dumpster. In the course of a home invasion, Armitage beat the home sleeping resident so badly that the man became quadriplegic and died only four years after the attack at the age of 33. The stories of the pair's pasts are disturbing. James Lee Bush had pleaded guilty to the murder of Sandra Marie Ramsey, 41, in 2010 in Saskatoon over a small crack cocaine debt. After the murder, Bush enlisted the assistance of Simone Desjardins, who provided the suitcase into which Bush had stuffed Sandra before the pair tossed it into a dumpster in an alley on the 200 block of 3rd Avenue South. Both left the city after disposing of Sanders' body, but were later captured. Bush was then sentenced to life with no chance of parole for 15 years, and dejarle who also pleaded guilty to her role, was sentenced to two years behind bars. Bush had been out of jail for just two months when he killed Ramsey. His four previous convictions for violent offenses included assault with a weapon and assault
1: of a peace officer. Okay, so this right here, Mike. Mm-hmm. right? Bush had Already been in jail for four violent offenses, got out of jail, murdered somebody, tried to hide the body, was jailed again, and then he's eventually put into a place like William Head where he can just walk around a fence and goes, goes on to murder brutally again. Right. Just to summarize what you've just said there, because it's almost unbelievable. Yeah, it doesn't
0: make any sense at all. According to the Sudbury Star, in April 2009, Zachary Armitage severely beat Sean Dupuy in his Levac home in Sudbury, leaving him with permanent brain damage. Armitage and Dupuy had been partying together and Dupuy had shown Armitage his firearms. Armitage left, but returned later to rob Dupuy of his firearms, finding him asleep on his couch. Armitage hit Dupuy on the head multiple times with a blunt object and Dupuy bled profusely. Dupuy was found three days later by a friend on the brink of death. He went into cardiac arrest twice and had to be resuscitated. His teeth were embedded in the back of his throat and his skull was fractured. After the attack, Armitage brought the firearms to the home of Joshua Bergeron. Police found the firearms there. The plan was to sell the guns on the black market. Armitage said very little in court about what he did or why, at his sentencing hearing in 2011, he apologized. Quote, I want to say sorry to Sean's family and loved ones, he said then. I take full responsibility for what I've done and I have no explanation for it. I hope one day you will forgive me, he said. I don't expect you to. End quote. The attack left Dupuis a quadriplegic and unable to speak. He had to be fed through a tube and lived out the rest of his days at St. Joseph's Continuing Care Center. The only word he could really muster was mum. He died in 2013. Although Armitage was not technically a murderer in Dupuis' death, it isn't a stretch to say that the beating most likely contributed to Sean's early demise.
1: Actions, not words, right? Uh, Someone who is capable of doing something like this, frankly, you can never trust what they say. Um, these crocodile tears. I don't know if he cried when he said it, but if he did, they will, probably would have been crocodile tears. The, uh, the, this man was beaten so severely and he laid alone for three days in pain before he was discovered. Three days. Bleeding to death. and Yeah, ap- apologies don't matter. You know, what matters is making amends. Right. And the, the fact that he went on to, to, to do this to Martin Payne just goes to show... He learned nothing in his words. were just trying to lesser his actions somehow.
0: Yeah. His words were essentially at the time, probably, well, don't throw the book at me. Yeah. He wasn't sorry that he had done what he'd done. He was sorry that he was caught for what right. he had done. And he
1: was like, okay, I'm going to play this game and and do the apologies so, because I know longer, because I've been in the system and longer term, this might be smiled upon eventually.
0: Yeah. And it, it was, Weep. uh, and that's the thing about making amends. Making amends is not saying you're sorry. Making amends is amending your behavior, yeah. changing your behavior, not doing that thing again. There are a few instances in my own life where I have had to amend my behavior yeah. and not do those things again. And they were not things that I'm proud of doing. Right. So, you know, people can change, but saying I'm sorry doesn't indicate that you've changed.
1: It's a much greater compliment to be trusted than to be loved. Yeah.
0: A court document indicates that Armitage's past was marred by a challenging childhood characterized by transience, a broken family, and instances of domestic violence victimization. He began using substances when he was just 12 years old. The government's Child Protection Agency was involved in his life from the age of 11 until he reached adulthood. His life lacked steadiness and regularity in terms of his living conditions and education and he never managed to complete his high school education. Prior evaluations of the 30-year-old offender suggested emotional instability, inability to stick to a plan, immaturity, and poor decision-making skills. He suffers from ADHD and oppositional defiant disorder diagnoses. And I didn't mention in any of the writing here, but both of these men are of indigenous heritage, so they have that uh, intergenerational stuff going on as well. Yeah. I'm not making excuses for them. No,
1: and, you know, sad story. Uh, Mm -hmm. Those all those other elements. Right.
0: They are mitigating things. But
1: at the same time, no number of syndrome... Mm. can carry the blame for the horrible things he's done. That's right. The truth is not many of us have had clear sailing through this life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anybody who tells me they have, I'm just like, oh boy, do you ever have something coming? (laughs) We've
1: all had rough waters and the occasional smashes on rocks, right? But we aren't out there butchering fellow human beings.
0: No. So how did they end up in a minimum security institution? According to a 2017 Globe and Mail article, In a case challenging the use of solitary confinement in Canada, James Lee Bush, who was then an inmate at Mission Institution in British Columbia, testified about his mental health deterioration during his stays in isolation. Diagnosed with schizophrenia in his early teens, Bush has been in administrative segregation, that's solitary confinement, eight times for various reasons, including violent behavior and threats. His longest stint was 66 days in 2019, during which he claimed his mental state declined significantly, leading to suicidal feelings. He alleged that solitary confinement was used to coerce him into taking psychotropic medication. The B.C. Civil Liberties Organization and the John Howard Society of Canada initiated the lawsuit against the federal government over solitary confinement practices on James Lee Bush's behalf. After this case, the warden of the mission institution overrode Bush's security classification, and he was sent to William Head Minimum Security Institution.
1: So, so who did that? What, what was this warden's name?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I
1: yeah, and that's my. It's point, easy to find out, but it's hard to find out, right? Because you, you like you can if you keep digging, but these people that override stuff like this are they forced to? meet face-to-face with family members and explain their actions? They should be. That's my point, right? Yeah, it's it's
0: a very disconnected system right now. There's not a lot of involvement. I mean, yes, the family gets to have a victim impact statement but one person who i know told me that when they did this over video recently they had to do victim impact statements over video because of covid-19 right so this was in regards to this person's parole he didn't even have to turn to face her while she was speaking on the video hmm. so he she just saw the back of his head hmm. it always seems to default in the direction of the offender and the offender's rights like when you see a redacted report, the report is often redacted because it has to do with the offender's past and what led up to the incident.
1: Yeah. And that's horrible. But what I don't understand is I actually think, and we'll talk about this after the show, mm. the media is complicit in this where they, they say the warden or the system. Yep. Somebody made the decision. And perhaps if people are named and shamed, then they can start going, well, we have all these issues with the system and underfunding. And then maybe something will change. I don't know. Yeah, right? I,
0: don't, I don't think naming and shaming is ever really the, the answer.
1: I want it, though.
0: <laughs> yeah. Capital Daily's Tory Marlin reported that a correctional officer from William Head noted that it's not uncommon to see medium security overrides but Bush's sudden change in public safety risk from maximum security all the way to minimum security was unusual. There is typically a stop in medium security. Similarly, the institution. Cutler emphasized that the public deserves thorough explanations when violent inmates with an escape history are placed in low security settings, and when they do escape, the reasoning behind such placement decisions should be made clear. Check News reported that after the charges against Armitage and Bush were made were made public, the chosen Mayor John Rands called for charges, called for changes in the si- called for changes in the system, stating that the local authority should have the power to veto the transfer of inmates to their facility. He pointed out that Armitage, who had a history of escapes and violent offenses, was sent to William Head despite being assessed as a medium security risk. Victoria criminal defense lawyer Michael Mulligan explained that Armitage's placement at William Head was largely because he only had one year left of his 13-year sentence. He argued that releasing inmates directly from a medium or high-security or high security prison back into society is too dangerous and that low-security prisons provide the necessary training for transitioning back into the community. The incident has led to changes in the prison's protocols. Local authorities are notified immediately when an inmate is missing without waiting for a search to be conducted. Other changes at the William Head Institution include an additional count during the institutional routine to improve the site's ability to prevent or manage future escapes. At the national level, wardens must now get approval from a supervisor to send inmates to a lower security institution and can no longer override a security risk assessment themselves. Bush and Armitage had since been moved to Kent, a maximum security institution here on the B.C. mainland. Time was added to their sentences for the escape. Also in response to the escape, seven additional inmates were reclassified from minimum to medium security and relocated to a higher security facility. This move followed a nationwide review by the CSC of all inmates in minimum security custody. The CSC has also updated policies to improve the transfer assessment process and speed up community notification for potential escapes. Legal paperwork submitted in July 2022 revealed that the Payne family is seeking unspecified damages from William Head Institution, accusing the facility of reckless handling of the inmate escape, asserting Martin Payne's death was a predictable result of the prison's response. Armitage and Bush pleaded not guilty to Martin Payne's murder and were set to be tried together, and the trial began with both men. The Crown began to present their evidence. When captured, James Lee Bush was wearing Martin Payne's Canucks cap and carrying Payne's backpack, while Zachary Armitage was wearing Payne's Mount Washington hoodie and Payne's hiking boots. Of the ten fingerprints found at Payne's home, one located on a glass matched Armitage And none matched Bush. Halfway through the trial, Zachary Armitage wanted to change his plea to guilty of first degree murder. At his sentencing in January of 2023, Zachary Armitage apologized to Martin Payne's family. He said, I wish I could take it back. I really do. I'd give my life for his. He said quietly, I wish you guys peace. I'm sorry. Well, that sounds familiar. Mm. The judge then sentenced Armitage to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. From Czech News, quote, Outside the court, Payne's daughter and his sister said they were surprised and pleased to hear Armitage's courtroom apology. Quote, It felt incredibly genuine, actually. I think that meant a lot to all of us, and it will be something that helps us to move forward, his daughter Jessica Payne said. His sister, Colleen Payne, turned to Armitage during her victim impact statement to the court, telling him he had taken the life of her beloved brother, a good and gentle soul who did nothing to cause this. Quote, My sincere hope is that you will seek help and to heal from your own inner pain, she told him. End quote.
1: So, I understand that they'd be surprised and pleased, and I'm sure he sounded sincere. Yeah. And, and I also think you know, the stuff that they said is is a beautiful act of humanity, and it it shows them as like decent human beings, like these are good people. Um, but I I worry that they didn't know or weren't told of his very similar apology to a family just a couple years before. Yeah, right. Did they know that?
0: Even you know? if they, even if they did, I mean, he he, <sighs> he, could, he could have. Came off as sincere. I know, know. They're,
1: they're better people than me. Yeah.
0: James Lee Bush maintained his initial plea of not guilty, and the trial continued. As a handwriting expert did not analyze the note found at the scene, Bush's defense raised the possibility that Martin Payne wrote the note himself, but there was no evidence to support this claim. Bush was ultimately found guilty of the murder of Martin Payne. As he entered his sentencing hearing, he was required to attend in shackles due to an outburst after the verdict's announcement, following which he flipped the bird at the court. He grinned defiantly at the victim's family before taking his designated seat. Check News reported that Justice David Crossan told James Lee Bush, quote, You extinguished the life of a man simply returning from work on a Monday afternoon. It was a cold-blooded killing for reasons that escaped me. You didn't just kill him, you butchered him, leaving him lying in his own blood. End quote. Like Armitage, Bush too was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for 25 years. From the Vancouver Sun's Brianna Charlebois. Quote, Payne's daughter Calla Payne told the sentencing hearing that her dad was a constant source of love and support and the decisions made by the two selfish reckless men took that away from her. The scariest thing about this for me is my father could have been anyone, she said. He entered his safe place and instead what greeted him was terror. She said she now suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety over her father's death. It would be short-sighted and nearly impossible to quantify the impact of his murder for her, she said. My trauma will change and evolve on an hourly, daily, yearly basis for the rest of my life. Martin Payne's older sister, Colleen Payne, said she has become withdrawn since his death. She thinks about the horrific way he died every day, she told the court. My constant companion is knowing that the last moments of my brother's life were filled with a terror, that he was bound and beaten, that his head was chopped down four times with an axe, that he knew his life was ending, that he was being killed and his neck was stabbed through from one side to the other with a bowie knife. Martin Payne's best friend, Ian Scott, said the loss of his best friend will haunt him for the rest of his life. The unimaginable terror, shocking violence, cruelty, and the indignity Martin suffered in his own home, which was the sanctuary of comfort and safety, has cast a cloud of sadness over all my memories of Marty, even my fondest memories, he said before urging the judge to bring a sentence that reflects that loss.
1: Martin Payne is gone. Um, but his loved ones have to keep living this. They do. These two men who should never have been in a medium security facility. No. As, and we say this again and again and again, but every time I hear one of these stories, I feel again, affected all of these people's lives yeah. for the rest of their lives. Yep.
0: It really doesn't seem like much has changed since Martin Payne's murder. Controversial transfers of dangerous inmates to lower-level security are still occurring. Serial killer Paul Bernardo's transfer in May of 2023 caused nationwide controversy and criticism of the Liberal government. Global News reported that the head of the Correctional Service Canada, Anne Kelly, has defended the decision to transfer serial killer Paul Bernardo to a medium-security prison, calling it sound after a review. The review found that protocols were followed, but communication with victims' families needs improvement. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev has called for changes to the law to keep all mass murderers in maximum security for their entire sentence. The review also led to a new ministerial directive for improved victim notification around inmate transfer and classification, especially for high-profile offenders. According to another Global News article, internal emails from the CSC reveal that employees were concerned about potential public reaction to Paul Bernardo's transfer. The emails obtained by Global News through an access to information request detailed discussions about moving Bernardo from maximum security to medium security and plans for notifying the victim's families. The emails show that CSC staff were worried about the, quote, circus... That would ensue if the news of the transfer reached the public before it was completed. They decided to notify the victims' families only after the transfer was complete. The emails also revealed that the staff were careful to avoid sensitive dates related to the victims, Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey, during the planning of the transfer. The transfer was carried out by vehicle, with Paul Bernardo being the only prisoner on board. The emails also show that there was a discussion about the potential negative public and media reaction to the transfer. The handling of the case has led to political pressure on Public Safety Minister Marco Mendocino and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who both claim they were not informed until the day after and the day of the transfer, respectively, despite their staff being briefed months earlier. And Mendocino has since been replaced as Public Safety Minister in a cabinet shuffle. I wonder if this decision had anything to do with that decision. Hmm. Tim Danson, the lawyer for the French and Mahaffey families, has called on the government to change the laws dealing with Canada's most dangerous offenders. He argues that the requirement for a penitentiary to be least restrictive for an offender is misplaced and cannot be a one size fits all criterion. He also takes issue with the argument that Bernardo's right to privacy trumps the victim's families, in this case, and calls for a reevaluation of transparency in the corrections and parole system.
1: So, recently, Ontario Premier Doug Ford... Told the legislature about uh, a, a different um, murderer, yeah, um, uh, who is is in um, medium security now, right? That uh, quote: he should be in twenty three hour solitary confinement, but his one hour should be in the general population because that's what should peop- that's what should happen to this sob. So. That's, I don't, I don't think that's helpful. No. I think I think it's quite immature from a populist politician. Well, um,
0: immature and populist politician yeah. tep- typically go together.
1: And, and I think that's that sort of a knee-jerk reaction to go to either throw them away and the, you know put them away and throw away the key in sort of a very fascist state to to vigilantism and and I think we we need to debate this a bit more. So let's you and I talk in the after show about our thoughts on what some solutions might be, or vent about what the system's like now. Yeah, and I think um, Patreon's can can listen to that. And if you're not on yet, become on. You can listen to the after show. Exactly,
0: and that's it for Dark Poutine episode 280. They walked away. The murder of Martin Payne. That's right. It's time for voicemails. You can leave us a message at one 327 5786 or 1-877-DARK-PTN. We'd love to hear from you. Let's see who called us this week. All righty. Let's listen to some voicemails. It is time for that part of the show. So let's have a listen here.
2: Hey, Mike Matthew. It's Rebecca from Bridgewater, Nova Scotia. You know who I am. Um, I just finished listening to the most recent podcast. And this is going to be short and sweet because I almost want to cry that you ended the comments with, yeah, I'm tearing up, who who were the better men? You know who the better men were. And I would like to say to you, too, that you, too, are, in fact, the better men. And I love listening to you guys and hearing your compassion and how you see things through your eyes is so true and it's appreciated and uh, i do love listening to you on monday it makes monday a little bit more bearable and um Matt, to you i'm not an arms dealer i'm a dog sitter it couldn't get any further away from being an arms dealer um All the doggies sit around my desk and they listen to the podcast as well. So they've all heard every word you've said. And they don't know that you're not talking to them because they're dogs. So they think we're just all a happy family having a big chat. So anyway, that was it. So much for short and sweet. I, um, I can't say go sit in your hat. I really just can't. So have a lovely day. Bye, guys. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, you did. So thanks, Rebecca. Rebecca is my sister's good friend. Okay. Yeah, and, and she has dog sat for Rachel's dog, oh, Dexter.
1: Thank you for the kind words. Um yeah. I, I don't know if I'm a better man. I have um an unhealthy distrust of authority. <laughs> yeah.
0: And and the the episode she's referring to is uh Jake and Morris yes, or of course. very recent episode. That on. one was um
1: Honestly, that photo of them, yeah, Mike, like in the woods hunting together, to the smart, like I, was, uh, so just so you guys know, Mike puts images of the victims in our scripts often, yeah, that you guys don't see, um, mm-hmm. because it keeps us focused on remembering. The human beings in the story. Yeah. And I looked down at that picture and teared up because I was literally like, I could be their buddy. They look like so much fun. Yeah. But um, yeah. Thank you, Rebecca.
0: Thank you so much. And and hugs to all the dogs. <laughs> I'll see you next time I'm home. All righty. Um, let's listen to our voice next voicemail. This one's short. Hello, This is Austin calling from
3: Edmonton. I just recently started listening to your podcast, and I'm working my way up from the earliest episodes. Anyway, I think you guys are awesome, and I'm really digging it so far. And I just called to say, Feku en vi ein That's Esperanto for go shit into your hat. Gisneravido.
1: We've never had an Esperanto one. <laughs> no, no,
0: I like having an Esperanto call. That was quite fun. <laughs>
1: So Austin and Edmonton, yeah. If you're ever on White Ave, yep, um, bar hopping, uh, say hi to my aunt and uncle. Where are they on White Ave? They, they bar live, hopping? They live just off White Ave, but oh. they're 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 nightclub folks, and always like a good band. There you go.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh. Yeah. What? <laughs> why would somebody need Esperanto in Edmonton, Matthew? What do you, What do you think is going on there?
1: Well. I think Edmonton is quite a um, multicultural city. Yes, it definitely is. And um, yeah, I mean, some of my family is multicultural over there. And uh, so I think Austin is an Esperanto teacher in Edmonton.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah. Someone's got to do it. Or not. (laughs) Or
1: not.
3: (laughs) Hi, guys. I, I was just listening to your latest podcast in the car. I had to pull over. Um, because of the crying, um, the Samson and Cardinal story was so important to tell. Thank you for doing that. Um, I didn't actually start crying until Matthew, you said that you'd been through stuff and that was it. <laughs> um, I'm Gigi from Victoria and I, I've called before, but I wanted to let you guys know how your podcast really impacts me in, in a profound way and that I appreciate what you uh, what you have to offer in terms of compassion and thoughtful information. Thank you again. And please, 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 I am begging, if you do come to the island, I will definitely pull myself away from whatever it is to, to be angry. Um, so thank you, FC. And she uh, Dr. Sheffield Bye now. <laughs> uh,
0: so we got two different languages telling us to go poop in our toques today. Fantastic. So. Yeah. I quite like that. Mm. Well, you made Gigi cry, Matthew. Sorry. You feel terrible, don't you?
1: Yeah. No, you don't. I actually, I, I find, when I get these compliments, I find it like this latest episode mm-hmm. that we've just done today. Yeah. Uh I'm kind of, how do I say this, Mike? I'm actually a little bit torn. Okay. Because I feel a lot, I feel not very much compassion for the perpetrators and what they've gone through. Yeah. And I don't feel a lot of compassion for the people in the system making mistakes.
0: Yeah, the ones but, who are making And those. that one I
1: have to work on a little bit, I think, because people are doing jobs and there's probably a lot of stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard. It's hard when you see totally innocent people that have nothing to do with the system being hurt and killed. Yep. Totally. So maybe something I have to work on. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll work on it together because I, sometimes I feel angry when I'm writing about yeah. how systemic failures yeah, are. Yeah.
1: And I've, I've had to, you, you edit me occasionally because I get so upset.
0: <laughs> you get a little wound up and it's <laughs> Sometimes
1: like... I'm on the cutting room floor, people. <laughs>
0: yep. Anyway. That's it for this week's voicemails. Again, you can leave us one at one 327 5786 or one eight seven seven D A dark We'd love to hear from you, even if it is just to say hi and to tell us to go shit in our hats. If you're stumped for what to chat with us about, a quick story is welcome. All right, it is time for Patreon and Donut Money donors. Matthew, we do have a patron this week. And that person's name is Steph. She just calls herself Steph. I know her last name because it's in the notes, but I don't know if she wants me to say what her last name is, but she's from Vernon, British Columbia. Vernon. Vernon. Pretty local. So what does Steph do for a living up there in Vernon, British Columbia?
1: So Vernon is in the Okanagan, isn't it?
0: It, uh, I would say so, yeah. So, so she's a vineyard explorer. She explores vineyards.
1: Yeah. Well, someone's got to do it. Yeah, she helps figure out where the great wine's going to come from next.
0: Well, I, it wouldn't be good for me because I was never like...
1: I didn't care. You were you a were gourmand, not a gourmet.
0: Yeah, I of looked alcohol. at... I
1: actually looked at,
0: what's the alcohol content in this? Oh, no, you didn't. I totally did. Oh, shit. I didn't care. D- did you actually care about how wine tasted?
1: I just didn't buy cheap wine. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I did it with a bit of class. Oh, dear. <laughs>
0: Well next uh we move on to Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Steph. Next we move on to our donut money donors and we have Deanna Imbo. And Deanna says, Coffee money as per my email. Deanna Imbo and she did email us as well. So thank you very much, Deanna and uh Matthew. A, where does Deanna live? And B, what does she do there?
1: Oh, I is saying she was
0: in Bow. No, <laughs> I-M-B-A-U.
1: Oh. In Bow. Okay, well, I already have her place as being somewhere named Bow, B-O-W.
0: Okay. Yeah. Like the Bow River in, Al- in Alberta? Yeah,
1: maybe she's from maybe, there.
0: Like along near Bow, Calgary. And
1: I think she's a, a professional gift wrapper. She's
0: a professional gift wrapper. Yeah. Does she have a particular flourish that she finishes with?
1: Yeah, it doesn't look like a 12-year-old child did it, like how I wrap gifts. Oh, dear. I'm such a bad gayer, yeah. I really am. Oh, no. Like, I wrap I gifts, I want to do them all, like, really nice and fancy, but it, it, I haven't improved since I was seven years old.
0: Well, you've heard it here first, Matthew <laughs> admitting that he is a bad gay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're going to take away my card. Uh,
0: There are other things I think that would have to happen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's not going to happen. No.
0: Thanks to all our patrons and Donut Money donors, past and present, for your generosity. It helps to keep the show going. You can become a patron of Dark Poutine at patreon.com slash Poutine For a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal using our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot if you did. You can easily find Dark Poutine on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you haven't gotten yours yet, my book, Murder, Madness, and Mayhem is available to order via a link on the Dark Poutine website. And speaking of darkpoutine.com, please check it out for show notes and other cool stuff. We'd appreciate it if you took the time to give Dark Poutine a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And that is it for this episode of Dark Poutine. Thank you for listening, folks. Thanks, everybody. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Sorry for interrupting you there, Mike. That's okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.